1: Earlon, I will never forget it.
2: Ear Hustle, stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
1: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your
3: podcasts. Sunny skies, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, an Atlanta company helps hourly and gig workers find jobs. Speaking of jobs, DeKalb County teens will not miss out on summer employment due to the pandemic. Also, an Atlanta man shares his recovery from COVID-19. My
2: eyes were swollen and puffy. I tried everything over the counter because I just knew it was sinuses. That evening, I started getting chills and headaches. The chills would just knock me out. I would um, be in the bed and not want to do anything.
3: But first, the daily coronavirus update right here in Georgia. There are 54,973 confirmed COVID-19 cases. The number of deaths statewide is is reported to be 2,375, and there are 9,973 hospitalized. Now, this, of course, is all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health at the time of this broadcast. Meanwhile, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is lifting more regulations regarding COVID-19. Kemp signed an extended executive order through the end of June yesterday. It covers quite a bit, Here are a few details. Starting next Tuesday, seniors 65 and older are no longer required to shelter in place unless they have certain medical conditions. Also, gatherings of 50 or fewer people are okay, but there's a six-foot distance requirement, and restaurants no longer must limit the number of customers at seats based on square footage. Salad bars and buffets, they're back. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Under the CARES Act, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance was going to provide emergency unemployment benefits for non-traditional workers, such as what we call gig workers or contract workers. However, there were so many that are right now even still waiting to receive their benefits. And as many Department of Labor agencies, they're trying to figure out how to process these claims to begin with. Well, this has left many gig and hourly workers struggling to make ends meet. Now, Steady is an Atlanta-based startup that advocates for gig and hourly workers. And they've recently received a grant to help its members during the pandemic. And joining me now to talk more about this is Adam Roseman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Steady. Adam, welcome. Good to talk to you.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
3: At the time of this conversation, and we were talking a little bit off record, but we were talking about the new unemployment claims numbers have now come out. Um, roughly, we're looking at about 44 million folks that are out of work or, re- or receiving benefits. And as you and I were saying, and we might as well go on the record with it, the numbers don't always tell the story.
4: That's right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the parts of that that I think are um, not getting the attention that they deserve. First off, as you mentioned, the PUA um, uh, support for alternative workers who don't have traditional W-2 work.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, there's over two and a half million additional uh, individuals who have applied for PUA support who are not included in the unemployment figures. And, mm-hmm. um, and what we see across our you know, two million member population that consists largely of those non W2 workers is that so many of them don't even realize the P exists. So despite mm-hmm. the fact that we may see two and a half million that have applied, um, the number we believe is is multiples of that um, of individuals that just don't realize that they can apply. Um, The second piece that I think the story just isn't telling at all, specifically when we look at new job creation numbers, is the underemployment that's now being driven, right? Mm -hmm. You look at um, new job creation that was published last week, well, close to half of those workers are restaurant and bar workers um, who rely predominantly on tip-based income. And they're going back to environments now that have social distancing measures in place uh, for good reason Mm -hmm. Um, and much less demand. And as a result, their tips are evaporating. So they're working on very low minimum wages. Um, Those minimum wages are being supported by the PPP Act that was put into place. So, you know, those wages also may be temporary once those restaurants and bars figure out what their new baseline is gonna be for demand. And it's not painting a very pretty picture.
3: Not painting a very pretty picture. I imagine you've heard, your organization has heard so many different stories from folks. Is there one that you can share that really just kind of hit you at the core?
4: You know, I wish I could point to one, to be quite honest. You know, we, as you mentioned, um, you know, we've been giving away emergency cash grants. So, you know, when people come to study um, uh, a large percentage of them linked their bank accounts so that we can help them track their income and suggest how to earn better. Well, what we started seeing when the pandemic occurred was rapid income loss in those mm-hmm. bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And, um, we identified those that had received, uh, or, uh, had that income loss and started providing them with cash disbursements, generally much quicker than they were receiving unemployment. And, you know, the thing that um, has been most troublesome is that we've surveyed those recipients now, which are in the thousands that have received, you know, an average of about $800 um, Mm. from us. And we found that close to 50% of those individuals come from our African-American community. Mm. And that's just frightening in terms of the uh, the outweighted impact that, that we've seen. So I think if there's one thing that just you know, is, is heartbreaking to the core. It's the impact that we've seen on African-American and other minority communities like the Latino community.
3: Before we get into what you all are doing, let's back up a little bit for our listeners who may not be familiar with Steady. I gave a brief one-line definition, but uh, let's talk about the backstory, the origin story of Steady. How'd y'all come about?
4: Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in Sacramento, uh, California with a single mom um, and who worked incredibly hard to make ends meet. Um, and she was always my hero and you fast forward, you know, 30 years and my father who I didn't grow up with, mm-hmm. um, retired in Savannah, Georgia, um, without, uh, adequate retirement income had to pick up work and it was very difficult for him to generate enough income from just one single job. He was working in retail. And so he had to explore working multiple jobs, uh, to, to fund his, his living, um, similar to what my mom had considered earlier mm-hmm. in my childhood. And so um, I started looking at and really digging into how prevalent this was now today. And what I found is when I was a child, it was not prevalent at all. Less than 10% of the American working population had more than one job. Um, Today, um, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research, pre-pandemic, that number was approaching 50% of the working population. Hmm. Um, So I became incredibly fearful and concerned over the drivers of what was causing that and decided that there needed to be an advocate that could help workers figure out how they're going to navigate and survive in this what we like to call the changing future of work.
3: So Steady is it a startup, a tech firm?
4: In yeah, instance? so we're we're tech we're a tech <laughs> firm. It's it's hard always to draw that line, of, do we still call ourselves a startup. So we we've, we've been around, you know, about 3 years now. Um, you know, we're fortunately um, well capitalized to be able to deliver against the massive need Um, that exists for the worker population are pleased to, you know, be based here in Atlanta, um, uh, you know, amongst such a diverse community. And um, yeah, we're during this time, I think, you know, we're all absolutely heartbroken. But the thing that keeps us so incredibly motivated is just hearing those stories and waking up in the morning and going to bed at night, knowing that we can actually have impact during this time.
3: Steady. It's a web and mobile application. Take our listeners through how this works and and how Gig workers, in particular, are able to use this platform.
4: Yeah, I appreciate it. So, um, a worker will will hear about Steady um, either through an online advertisement, a referral from a friend, um, a referral from a, a a bank or a nonprofit, um, and they'll come to the Steady app, uh, download the app, register. Um, they'll choose to link or not link their bank account. There's a lot more functionality available to those that do because mm-hmm. the core of our Uh, of our system is built around the intelligence of that data that we can see in a bank account in terms of how people have been earning, spending, do they have overdraft fees so that we can make suggestions to them on how to improve their financial lives. Um, And then once they're in the app, um, there's a variety of different features for them to explore. So, you know, they can pursue sort of our initial use case. of. You know, do you have income today, but you're not making enough? And do you need to find a way to um, to generate supplemental income or extra income or side did, as a lot of people will call it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have over a million different ways to make money in the app. Some of those are did. Some of those are work from home. Some of those are hourly work. Um, and someone can go through and, and select based on their geography, what type of work they're looking for. Um, they can track their income. Um, they now are receiving personalized insights. So based on that bank account data, we'll tell you, Hey, if you're working at Walmart in Atlanta, um, where other people working at Walmart earning supplemental income from and what's paying the highest, right? So that you can figure out how to make the most, um, based on that data set. And then, um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we've rushed incredibly quickly to add a number of new features, which we believe are critical during this time. Um, the first being telemedicine. And mm-hmm. so we're covering the subscription during the pandemic um, for individuals to have 24 seven access within the Steady app to a doctor on demand um, that can assess any problems that are happening from an urgent care perspective, guide them on if they need to pay to go to an emergency room, especially for folks that uh, may be uninsured or underinsured, uh, where they can't afford to just make a hasty decision. Uh, I'm going to visit a doctor if it's perhaps they're not sure. Mm-hmm. They can also pres- prescribe pharmaceuticals and at only a $25 per visit cost to the member, which we don't collect any of passes directly through to the doctor. So we're providing that for free during this time. Um, in addition, we're providing clear guidance on what work is actually available right now.
3: You Please. call them members. So you actually, mm-hmm. folks actually sign up as members. So there is a, a cost involved?
4: There's no cost involved today. So we refer to them as members. We envision ourselves as kind of like an association, right? We're a community of individuals that have shared interests, shared challenges that we try to tackle. So we refer to them as our members.
3: I understand that uh, this very big, large man named Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal, of course, he's (laughs) an NBA legend. He's been an advisor and an advocate for Steady.
4: Yeah, it's amazing to have to have Shaquille involved. Uh, yeah, you mentioned he's large. I'm, I'm large, but uh, I'm glad I get to be dwarfed when I'm in those, those conversations. <laughs> he uh, does a lot him.
3: for the community. He really does.
4: Oh, it's, it's amazing. People have no idea how much he does and how big of a heart that guy has. So, you know, the times that I've seen him sitting with our study members, just listening intently to their stories, giving them advice, um, the times that he'll go and he'll visit with someone at their home, leave their home. And then call us and say, hey, go send that family four laptop computers. I'm going to pay for it, right? We say, no, we'll pay for it at Steady. He said, no, I'm going to pay for it. We send mm-hmm. him those laptops. None, none of this ever gets published. He does so much of that mm-hmm. day in and day out. He up. does. If you're
3: just tuning in, I'm joined by Adam Roseman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Steady. And we're talking about how Steady, it's an app, is helping people right here in Atlanta and throughout the nation find work during the pandemic, particularly hourly and gig workers. Um, On average, how many people use the app per day, Adam?
4: Yeah, so we have, um, what we publish is our monthly active figures today. So we have nearly 600,000 people use the app today on a monthly basis. We have about 2 million people on the app in its entirety.
3: And you all, through this app, you all have been able to help hourly and gig workers find jobs, not just here in the Atlanta area, but throughout the nation.
4: That's right. Um, and we publish our impact statistics, which we'll be updating soon. But as of last year, based on that bank account data, we were able to measure that Steady's work in particular had a direct lift in the average income of those using the Steady app by $4,000 per year, about $338 per month. So about a 10% income lift based on the average household income of our members.
3: Why the importance of knowing or seeing their activity in the bank accounts? That's to help you help them and to possibly help guide them in terms of expenses and maybe pointing them to any other resources that could help them. Is that the importance of that?
4: Yeah, it is. And it's also, it's heavily focused on how they're earning. So when we uh, get a list of bank account transactions, we can see you have a deposit from Uber, you have a deposit from Home Depot. Um, We can then go and map how much you're making there, understand what industry you're in, and then look at uh, the account data of other individuals and suggest, hey, you're in retail, but there are people in retail at CVS instead of, you know, the job you're working at or making 20% more, and here's jobs available for you there. Mm. So it helps us acquire the data that's needed to build this community data set, right? Um, employers today have so much incredible access to data, which rarely is used for the benefit of the worker. Here, what we're trying to do is give the, the power of that data back to the worker um, by aggregating that community data and only using it on their behalf.
3: Uh, how secure is this? And you, you know, you start talking about folks' bank accounts, Adam. Yeah. how secure is no, this? No, it's a,
4: it's always a valid question. So we utilize um, bank level KYC and um, security and authentication. So it's a Visa system that provides the uh, account integration. It's run by Visa. Um, we actually don't provide that integration. It's through Visa mm-hmm. itself. It's a company called Plaid that they acquired for five billion dollars mm-hmm. last year. Um, Our general counsel, so our in-house attorney um, was one of the individuals that set up the enforcement division at the uh, CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under Senator Elizabeth Warren. So we have, uh, you know, every certification in place that you can imagine SOC 2. CCPA, which is the new California privacy laws, uh, GDPR, the European privacy laws, um, all in place, and a lot of our team comes from another Atlanta company called mm-hmm. um, which also works with bank data, um, and so they've been uh, had experience for over a decade in that capacity.
3: And I mean, you all were able to help some folks out with emergency cash grants. How did that work, and and what was the, you know, how much money were you able to to help folks with, on average?
4: Yes. So we've been very excited to partner with a San Francisco based nonprofit called the Workers Lab um, that helped to raise the funds for distribution. Um, We then uh, utilized our bank account data to see where people had income loss. And so based on income loss and seeing that they were in categories like retail and food services, Mm -hmm. we said, OK, we want to give you money to help you during this difficult time. And this was nonprofit money. And so we've distributed now over two million dollars in an average of about eight hundred dollars per family.
3: Hmm. Adam, I don't know if CEOs like this question, but I ask it anyway. How do you all make money? How,
4: yeah, how so, your, um, how's
3: your profit generated?
4: So um, today, you know, we're fortunate to be a, a startup that's able to focus very heavily uh, for the foreseeable future on the delivery of our value to our members. Um, but we do the way that we generate income today is through we have a marketplace where if we see, for example you have overdraft fees on your bank account, we'll suggest to you, you can go open a bank account with a bank that has no overdraft fees, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't charge you fees. Um, We'll generate in that instance some amount of money and then we share that money back with the worker. We call those our income boosters. So today you can go in and you can see advertisements for and our steady app um, borrow or chime to digital banks who charge no fees. Mm -hmm. We'll get paid an amount and then we give the workers $75 or $50 to open that account and eliminate their overdraft fees. So we do that also with savings account products, insurance products, ways that we can lower the fees of our members. Mm -hmm. Uh, We generate a fee and then we share that back with our members and we keep part of it to help us fund our operation.
3: Have you made a profit yet? (laughs)
4: <laughs> uh, we're not. No, no. At our, our level, that, that won't be for a while. Um, but, um, you know, we have, we have some things planned down the road that hopefully we can continue to align our, the way that we make money with, um, with uh, delivering a value to our members.
3: Are there many companies in this space? How would you define what Steady is? And do you have a lot of competition?
4: Yeah, so um, most people refer to us as being a part of the fintech space, right? Financial technology, okay, gotcha. um, which would include, you know, apps like Mint, um, you know, lending apps, digital mm-hmm. banking apps. Um, we're tackling it in a new way because what we, we look at is we're looking at work like um, uh, financial services. Mm-hmm. And our belief is that there's no more important financial decision you're going to make, especially as a low income worker, than how you spend your time, what type of work you do. Um, And so our what we're doing is connecting the concept of of financial account data with um, work data. So especially specifically like jobs boards type listings. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of sitting at the intersection of um, of a, a financial recommendation app and a jobs board. Adam,
3: before I let you go, as we wrap up, we've had a lot of conversations on this program about the unbanked and underbanked.
4: Yeah, it's it's terrible, right? So we survey our members and 80% of them um, can't afford a $500 emergency expense. We see in the bank account data, 35% of them average $70 a month in overdraft fees to their bank. Um, and then another 30 or so percent use digital payday lending technologies. We can't even see those that are using um, traditional payday lending. Um, so the numbers are are, are just ridiculous. Um, and so the way that we're helping them today is, as I mentioned, referring them into lower fee banking opportunities, um, also referring them into you know the most um, uh, financially healthy credit building products like self lender. But our belief is that the core of the problem is people just aren't making enough money. Mm-hmm. And the way that you solve that problem is by lifting their incomes. And that's why our core mission and our core theme is how do we help the low income population actually ger- generate more income and maximize their potential. And we believe that's the only way that you're going to solve the problem.
3: And Adam Roseman is the co-founder and CEO of Steady. And we've been talking about the Atlanta-based fintech firm. Adam, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot about your business. Thank you.
4: Uh, Thank you so much for having me.
3: Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. It may be hard to believe, but summer vacation is officially here for many students. Why could it be hard to believe? Well, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and many internships and other opportunities for young people are now on hold, even as the state reopens. But here's something else. According to the United States Department of Labor, the teen unemployment rate more than tripled from February to April. It reached an all-time high of 32%. But there still are some opportunities remain here in our area. In DeKalb County, the local summer job program has now been converted into a virtual career academy. And joining me now to talk more about this is Teresa Austin-Gibbons, the director of WorkSource DeKalb. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for the invite. Excited.
3: Yeah. But, you know, when you hear that the national teen unemployment rate is 32 percent, you know, what's what's your reaction to that?
1: Uh, That that tells me, I mean, it's extremely high and we have kids that were, you know, interested in trying to find a summer job because they like summer jobs to go out so they can have fun, you know, money. For the summer, to hang out with their friends, but also to buy school supplies for the upcoming year. So it tells me that just based on that sheer number alone, that we had to do something special and different to help these teens out this summer and not leave them out so they would at least have some funds coming up into the new school year.
3: Now, typically in a non-pandemic year, and obviously this is the first time we're all dealing with this, what would be the process? You all would help place teens with summer jobs and obviously they would go and start working. That would be the typical process, correct?
1: Correct. So back in 2017, CEO Michael Thurman incorporated DeCab Works. And so DeKalb Works is where youth would come in through our orientation process and we would train them on soft skills, uh, give them a leg up going out into the workforce and during the summer. And so typically we would pair them with employers based on their industry of choice. With those industry of choices, we would put them out into DeKalb County all over, for about six to eight weeks. and those six to eight weeks, I would not get any sleep because they're in a workplace. So I consider these (laughs) as my kids. And so they would be paired with employers and they would learn job skills to go into the workforce.
3: How many teens typically did y'all place in a summer?
1: So 2017 up till last year, we've done about 1,100 students. So each summer about 400, 450 students.
3: So I imagine... As all of this unfolded with the pandemic, you all realized that that was going to change. So instead of just scrapping for this year, you all turned to a different model, which is online, which is what a lot of entities have had to do. Was that in the playbook? Did you have a manual for that?
1: It was not a manual created. It was not in the playbook as everyone did when COVID-19 hit. We had to reimagine our summer jobs program. I think as we thought about what it would look like under the leadership of our CEO, Mr. Thurman, we thought about doing this virtually because you now have parents that are at home also working. Mm -hmm. So if the parents are at home working, then the thought was we should be able to do this with the youth as well, but we had to put a spin to it to ensure that we were getting the right project, the right pieces, and make it strategic so they would be doing the kind of the same things their parents were doing as they were working.
3: But did you also have to look at could some of those businesses or those employment opportunities those were changed because a lot of entities had to close their business or shutter so did that change too?
1: That changed as well as you stated. Some of the businesses did close, so we had to think about those industries that were in high demand. One of the things we do here at Worksource to Cab is we look at the high demand occupations, healthcare programming Mm -hmm. anything in IT as far as as well as business technology. How those things have changed from 17 up to 2020 and now more evident in a pandemic. Jobs Mm -hmm. look a little bit different so we had to change that model and we thought about a 3 prong approach which included our academic enrichment, life skills, as well as career development. And so, under the career development area, is where we focus our high demand occupations to look at those industries.
3: And so, how many kids will you all be able to place into jobs in a virtual setting?
1: So, in our virtual setting this year, our goal is 850 students
3: wow. placed
1: through this academy.
3: So, here comes the other question how y'all gonna do this? <laughs>
1: so we have partnered with the deKalb county school system to provide the academic enrichment portion of our our three-prong approach and so they're utilizing what's called the verge their learning management platform and so students will be able to get general classes such as math english courses they would typically get during the school year and this will you know give them a little support throughout the summer so some of those skills they would have or knowledge and skills they would have learned early on when covid hit some of that may have you know lost a little luster there because we had to pivot very mm-hmm. quickly so with those the skills that they may have lost a little bit during the academic school year mm-hmm. the school is able to provide that support throughout the summer with this program as well as our life skill enrichment through financial literacy where you get your first paycheck, the first thing you want to go do is probably hang out with your friends, go to the movies, which we're not doing a lot of right now. So we're going to teach you a little bit about financial literacy on how to save that money, as well as just some generations in the workplace. So this is probably the first time that we've had all generations in the workplace. So that that creates an interesting type of mix. So we think it's very important that those youth learn
3: that as well. And so. With this pandemic, though, sounds like you're able to help a lot more kids. Is that true?
1: We are. We doubled our numbers this year because we've got the support of not only the school system, but also Georgia Piedmont. We have individuals that may need to work on their GED. Mm -hmm. And so with individuals that need to work on their GED, they'll be interfaced with Georgia Piedmont Technical College. So they can through this six to to eight week program, depending on their levels where they are, they can attempt to work towards the GED. If they do not complete, we can still carry those Mm -hmm. youth on to ensure that happens for them because that's a big milestone as well.
3: The voice you hear is Teresa Austin-Gibbons. She's the director of WorkSource DeKalb. And we're talking about what the county has planned for this year's virtual Summer Career Academy for local youth. And they're also going to make a little money. Yeah,
1: a little money. We were laughing. I, I was telling them through our orientation, which we also did virtual for our students prior to going into the start on June the 2nd. We talked a lot about the pay. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting because my staff was saying, "Miss Austin Gibbons, are you in here talking about cheddar? I said, well, we got to relate to the kids. We talk about money and our paychecks. They talk about paper and cheddar. Cheddar and (laughs) cheese. (laughs) Cheddar (laughs) and cheese. So the kids were, I think, really excited that, you know, they could have someone that is engaged but also understand their language as well.
3: And we could even take it further. We might show our age. (laughs) <laughs> yes, let's not do that. <laughs> so this is what I understand because you had 850 spots. You had over 7,000 youth apply for those 850 spots. What does that say to you about the demand and the need for programs like what you all are offering in CAP?
1: What that tells me is that not only, you know, our adults are needing employment, our youth also are seeking those type of strategies to just get them ready for the workforce. Mm -hmm. It tells me that they are interested when sometimes I think as adults, we may assume that kids may not be interested. They may not be listening. 7,000 applications tells me that kids are interested and they're looking to be engaged in the workforce.
3: The first day of the Summer Academy was June 1st. How's it going so far?
1: It's going good. You know, we are we're uh, working in conjunction with the school system, providing good customer service. If kids need assistance, they're calling us at our in our call center. And we're triaging as we go along, but I think everything is working well. We've had some motivational speakers. We try to do motivational vitamins throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Our first speaker was Mr. Keith Brown, Mr. Impossible, Mm -hmm. and got an email from a couple of parents because, of course, they're at home as well. And they were listening in and they emailed back saying, hey, we we were motivated. Can we join? (laughs) So so it's good to know that the parents are engaged as well because that support is, is really needed especially when we can't, you know, actually see the kids.
3: Being able to shift and pivot due to the pandemic and still be able to offer double the normal amount of teens you all are helping, does that also give you a little bit of insight to what you might do next summer? Maybe you'll do both? Can you do both?
1: I think a bit could be a possibility. I think when you look at we are, we always say when we have our our team meetings, that we are literally flying this plane and building it at the same time. I think next year, now that we see we can do this virtually, we've done it in person, so to speak, pre-pandemic, I think we could look at maybe some hybrid, kind of like they do with college courses. You Mm -hmm. would do courses online and then some classes you would go on site. So I think there's a possibility for anything at this point because we are literally building the manual as we go along.
3: How do you measure the success of a program like this?
1: So I think we measure success by looking at our academic enrichment of those individuals that have been engaged with the system, how well they did in those courses, interacting with their career advisor, because not only are these youth paired with an instructor in their class, we have additional support here at WorkSource DeKalb as career advisors. And so as they go through this process, anything that they need in regards to just career advice, or they just need someone that they need to talk to, um, they can call and talk to their career advisors because they're interacting with them every week, as well as there's also a counseling portion. So if there are kids that just need to discuss how they feel about things, the way things are happening right now, the school system has provided some counseling support. So I think the success is that we get the kids through the program, we get them paid, and we look at their success stories because we've asked them to submit, you know, any successes that they feel that they've done in their classrooms. And then once we can get them placed on the back end when we're open back up again, I think that's going to be extraordinary because I think we're going to do well with that.
3: All right. Teresa Austin Gibbons is the director of WorkSource CAB, and we've been talking about their virtual summer academy this year thank you so much for taking the time i really appreciate it thank you for what you're providing for so many teens in deKalb county i know they appreciate it and their parents
1: yes ma'am thank you for having us
3: stay safe now
0: support for wabe comes from the community foundation for greater atlanta if you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U.
3: Closer Look continues now you're on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You know, there are a lot of stories coming out of this pandemic, and we're about to hear one more. Director and photographer Derek Blanks, he's an Atlanta-based, or maybe I should say College Park-based. I want to get it right because folks are very serious about mm-hmm. where they live. <laughs> but mm-hmm. Derek Blanks is an area-based celebrity photographer and director, and he's also a survivor of COVID-19. And he joins me now to share his story. Derek, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh, no problem. Thanks for the invite.
3: How long have you been a photographer?
2: Well, I've been shooting all my life for the most part, but um, I was introduced to photography in the third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm originally from Jackson, Mississippi, and I went to academic and performing art school. So my emphasis was on drawing and painting, and all the and in and, and the process. I was introduced to photography, third grade. So went out, got a camera from the pun shot, and just fell in love with it.
3: So this is a passion for you, right?
2: Yes, it is. It is. But art in general is a passion mm-hmm. in any form. Um, I do album packaging,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, graphic design, like you mentioned, directing, illustration. So any form of art, you know, I love to kind of dabble in.
3: You're a creative.
2: Yes, ma'am.
3: So, Derek, let's go back to the beginning of 2020. As 2020 rolled in, did you have a set of goals? And some people make resolutions. Did you have a set of goals, things you wanted to do?
2: You know what? I did. And, you know, I had recently started. I gained Missy Elliott as a client last year. What? And she had, you know, <laughs> thank God, thank God. But she has been keeping me busy. I've been doing all her creative directing and um, this two videos, music videos for. Mm-hmm. So um, financially and everything looked very stable and I was really pleased and excited. Still pleased and excited to be working with her. But um, my goals for this year was to take it up even further and possibly start which I'm not saying it can't be done, but mm-hmm. possibly start doing some movie directing. Because of what I mentioned before as far as my background being in illustration, mm-hmm. graphic design and all that. Fortunately, I've had work to do. Um, just finished Brandy's new project doing her CD packaging for that and we did a video right before. Actually, that's how I got sick when I went to LA to shoot the video but you know, since I've been back, I've been working on her album packaging and all that. She has a part, um, project slated to come out mm-hmm. early, at the end of July so I've been busy, but I can't wait to get my hands back um, in it and, and get back to work as far as being in the field.
3: Now, Derek, you I mentioned Missy Elliott, Brandy. <laughs> my bad. No, no, we're going to hang out, brother. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's talk about that trip to L.A. But before we, we get into that, obviously with much of the news centered around the coronavirus and the shelter-in-place, what did you think about that? What were your thoughts about, we're in a pandemic now, and there's this coronavirus that, what did you think about then?
2: You know, when I first heard the news, I was a little skeptical because of all the press and media talking about Black people can get the virus and all that. And then um, I got the job to do Brandy's album packaging shoes. So we went out there and while we were out there in the midst of all that, that's when the city of Atlanta shut down and LA, I was literally out there and they were like, okay, come Monday, all the businesses are going to be closed. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my my God, I was just praying that I didn't get stuck in LA at the time because I didn't know the seriousness of it and how it would affect everything. How long were you out there? I I was out there for two and a half days. I went out there on the weekend and flew Mm -hmm. back on on that Monday. And when I got back, or when I got to the airport, the, the airport was deserted for one. The plane was deserted. And I got back and I began to work immediately. And I worked for a week and a week passed. And that's when I got the symptoms. So it literally was like five days later is when I got the symptoms.
3: What month was this, Derek?
2: Um, let me go back at my calendar. I wanna say it was early we already in June, it was mm-hmm. early March.
3: And no symptoms.
2: And no symptoms. And my symptoms were a little rare at mm-hmm. the time since then they've updated the symptom chart, but mm-hmm. I didn't have a cough. My eyes were swollen which is why I thought it was sinuses. My eyes were swollen and puffy. I tried everything over the counter because I just knew it was sinuses uh, and, t- and nothing worked. And then that fifth day that evening, I started getting chills and headaches. And I would the chills would just knock me out. I would um, be in the bed and not want to do anything. So I called a hotline here. Mm-hmm they were like stay at home stay at home if you feel like you have it stay at home so i stayed at home for three or four days and the fifth day my fever didn't break and my cousin was like hey you really need to go to the er if you had a fever for five days so my wife took me to the emergency room and of course they didn't let her in Mm -hmm. they just admitted me and it was deserted it was absolutely deserted and the first thing they asked you uh, when you check in was do you have your will and testament so they asked they you that yeah
3: <laughs> what did you think Derek
2: yep. honestly I was thinking will I be able to <laughs> get back out because I didn't feel horrible I just had those chills up and then that's when my sh- slight shortness of breath happened it was various, like, but I was like is this my last time <laughs> is this gonna be my last time um, honestly I was that went through my mind it's just going to be the last place I I'm alive. So Mm. when I got back to ER room, they checked my vitals and they saw my oxygen levels were a little low. My temperature was only at 98, but I had uh, previously taken some Tylenol. So, um, it went down, doctor came in, he checked my lungs. He was like, you have pneumonia. And, um, I was like, how, how did I get pneumonia? And he was like, well, it's probably from the coronavirus. So they gave me the test for the virus and they told me at the time, I may not even get the results back before I go home, but they told me that basically that I had the virus and I pretty much knew, they suspected I had the virus, but I pretty mm-hmm. much knew I had the virus once he confirmed that. and They, they checked me into the hospital and by that time, I was probably in about five, six days, so I was probably halfway done with the virus at that, at that point, but I stayed in the hospital about three to four more days until my fever broke.
3: What, and, what, and your family, they, so no one was able to see you though because of all the concerns? Right. I was Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I just did FaceTime, and honestly, I was just, and so much pain as far as the chills goes, because every time I would get chills, I'd be I would just shut down where all I wanted to do was sleep. And then once that finally broke, I would get abdominal pains every time I ate that were like horrible. Like basically, I would get cramps anytime I ate. So I lost a in total. I probably lost about ten pounds when I was in the in the hospital from not wanting to eat, and I was on oxygen.
3: You were on oxygen?
2: Well, they kept me on oxygen, but Mm -hmm. my vitals weren't bad. I think it was like 98 or something, but they just kept me on on the tubes to just ensure, because when I did get up, I would get shortness of breath, but it wasn't anything that I haven't experienced before. It's more like, you know, when you have shortness of breath or whenever you have the flu or, or anything mm-hmm. like that, it just feels like it's just harder to breathe where you get short-winded from walking maybe six feet or whatever.
3: Derek, what questions did you have for the doctors? Did you ask them about your re- odds for recovery, for recovery?
2: They didn't really seem concerned because all my vitals were fine. Mm-hmm. But um, at one point, my sister-in-law called and she was they were about to send me home because I guess that they was just trying to get me out of there and get patients in there that needed more attention. But um, she was asking them about the medicines for um, lupus, the one that they were taking at one point mm-hmm. that they were saying possibly would help the situation. But um, come to find out now that that medicine really has no effect to right. the virus. Anyway, she was asking him about about all that, and his reply was, "Well, basically, we just got to treat this. There, there's no cure for it, so we just have to watch it, monitor it, keep him hydrated." And I was on the IV as well, and basically just observe him. So that's what they did. They just kept me hydrated. But at that point, they were trying to they were trying to send me home. And the doctor asked me to stand up. They put the, the machine on my finger and walk about about four feet away. And they saw my oxygen levels went down slightly. So they decided to keep me there another night. But basically, at that point, they didn't really know what how to treat the virus or what to do. I recall getting a shot in my stomach and... That wasn't as painful to me as just the process of the cramping. They gave me medicine for that. But the reason that later I found out I received a shot in my stomach was to prevent any clotting in my legs and my limbs. You know, it was just an experience as far as just taking the virus seriously mm-hmm. and preventing yourself from catching it. When I went to L.A., I really... I didn't have on a mask, I didn't have on the gloves, any gloves and I didn't have any hand sanitizer, but all those things right before I left, I really didn't take it seriously and too
3: Why Derek?
2: Um, all those things. Because it was so new and there weren't many people dying from it or African Americans getting sick from it. So once I once it hit me for real, I decided to go out and getting hand sanitizer and mask Mm -hmm. and all that and it was completely sold out even at the hospital Mm -hmm. so you know if i rewind i would most definitely have made a mask or done something Uh, but i tried to be as cautious as possible as far as washing my hands and Mm -hmm. things like that things like that but wasn't good enough
3: if you're just joining in i'm joined by atlanta based celebrity photographer and director derek blanks and we're talking about From the moment he was diagnosed with COVID-19 to his recovery. Derek, you have a family, you have a wife and a, a, a child. How are they doing?
2: Yes, they're doing good. You know, when I got sick, my wife was like, okay, you need to. At first, with all the media and all that, she was very worried for me coming back from L.A. So as soon as I got a fever, she was like, okay, you need to go to the family room. So, not the family room, the guest room.
3: She put you out, Derek. So, she put <laughs> me out.
2: put me out. And I'm glad she did. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, she was there to kind of make sure I was fed, right, and isolated. I was completely away from them in the other bedroom. But she made sure I had my food and mm-hmm. kept my son away. And when I got back um, from, I believe I was in my room they told me to quarantine for another week. Mm-hmm. So I was in there for like, um, it's some particular rule that they, once your fever breaks, you have four days before you can go outside mm-hmm. of your room. So basically in, in that time frame, they waited on me hand and foot. And um, I was very drained. I didn't really have much energy, which is opposite of me because I'm normally working all the time. So I basically slept for like 48 hours mm-hmm. um, or more. nonstop. My sleep pattern was off. My days was all mixed up. But um, thank God they were there and helped me through. And all I could do was watch Netflix or the news or whatever. I found out that she may have actually been immune to it. That's not proven, of course, because she's O-positive. Mm-hmm. But they were saying that the O-positives have less they're less likely to catch the virus. So that could be possibly why they never got sick mm-hmm. or she never got sick. so Derek, the, who knows? They could have had it and carried it as well. So.
3: Yeah. So, Derek, total how many days were you in the hospital?
2: Um, I was in the hospital like four days.
3: And then when you came home, how were you feeling when I you came home? You quarantined for additional...
2: Yep like a f- additional four days because I had my fever broke like two days before, while I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I felt basically I was very weak and tired uh, but I felt much better. The stomach pains diminished and the chills and the fever diminished. That was probably the most uncomfortable part of the whole situation was the fever and the chills. Mm-hmm. Um, so Once I got back, all that was gone. It was just more about getting my appetite back up and building my strength.
3: How are you feeling now?
2: I feel great. Um, And of course, I mean, I'm pretty strict on my diet and I eat extremely healthy. So I feel like, and I'm very active. So I feel like that had a big part of it uh, to do with it. Because honestly, I was back at it a week later. I took a week off from after I got sick. And then I just got back to work and working out and eating right and kind of bounced back. I've had I haven't had any complications or problems since then. So I'm feeling my I'm feeling back one hundred percent I honestly.
3: So now you can go hang out with Missy and Brandy again all the folks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you know, they're not gonna be hanging out with me, especially Missy. <laughs> <Vince. laughs> You're gonna be like, oh, you need to stay home until all this absolutely absolutely uh,
3: Derek what's the message Derek what's the message out there to anyone listening um, who right now may have just found out that they've been diagnosed with COVID-19 or they're in the midst of recovery what do you want them to know
2: my message would be just to take it seriously and that's in all forms fashion from what we eat, our health. um, As an African-American, I know we have predisposed illnesses like diabetes and high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. but a lot of that can be controlled by our diet and our eating habits and taking it seriously. Um, And also social distancing and taking that seriously as well and making sure that we wear our masks, wash our hands, be careful as this weather gets warmer we uh, naturally we want to go out and do things but I'm not saying to not completely enjoy your life but just be smart about situations and don't go in large groups and just wear your mask, keep yourself protected because even if you don't necessarily um, have any symptoms you can go to your mom's house, your father's, or er- elderly person and pass it mm-hmm. and they may end up dying or getting ill from it. So, number one would be take it seriously and and watch our dies. In case we do get the virus, we can fight it properly.
3: You feel like with the fact that you were a pretty healthy eater and you you know you took care of your body, pretty good. You were working out. Do you think that that was a big part of your recovery?
2: Yes, I know for a fact. Uh, I know Well, all the breathing and the mucus and all that, I know because of my water intake and things like that, I didn't really have the symptoms that other people experience, as far as the excess um, buildup of mucus in your lungs and all that. And I for sure know for a fact that my recovery time was like increased and my body was able to fight off the virus a lot easier. Um, I hear stories now of of other colleagues and clients that are saying they're still having complications from the virus after they've recovered. And it's still like they're still having issues.
3: Derek, are you still following up with your doctors or do they check in with you?
2: Um, No, I haven't followed up with them. And, you know, I'm due for my my 40 Plus, yearly
3: forty plus. um,
2: (laughs) You know, when you hit a certain age, I'm due for that anyway. So oh, I I know. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) The doctors, when they let me go, they I didn't have to do any follow up or anything like that, and I haven't felt the need to do it. But I do know that I need to equally take that seriously too. So I'm gonna plan on. Doing my annual and getting that
3: together too. All right. Atlanta Bay celebrity photographer and director Derek Blanks sharing his story as a COVID 19 survivor. Derek, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. And we're all glad that you are, you have recovered.
2: Okay. Thanks for the interview.
3: And, you know, I'm serious now. When you get back out there with Brandy, now Brandy is one of my favorite singers. She, him, she's too, not up there so. with Gladys, but she's one of my
2: favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gladys too. I love Gladys. I so. had the pleasure of working with her too. So, yeah, I dare her, her project maybe about seven years ago. When she had an album come out in the video. Mm-hmm. She was just, she was lovely. And she is talented, lovely. So yeah.
3: Best of luck. We're going to keep following your journey. Glad you're okay.
2: Thank you so much. And I appreciate the interview.
3: Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Ro Scott.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in depth, long form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our
3: Peabody Award winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR